Alright guys, welcome to another episode of MC Anime. I'm MC Anime. I have a special guest with me today. Where is your... How... Take the field. Alright. So, hey. My name is Ezekiel Williams, also known as Z. And I'm the host of the Let's Get Up podcast. A podcast that talks about anime, video games, um, early career, and people's interests. Okay. And- and with the Let's Gather podcast, what does your audience like? What's the typical niche that you find that is really good for your podcast? Uh, the niche is usually people who are like either just graduating college or in college and have like more like nerdy um interests or oh, okay. like that. Yeah. People so is it just... yours like self help and stuff like that? I say it's less like self help and more just like Examples of what other people done to get to their point in life. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. So, welcome everyone. Zeke with a major and special guest appearance on this episode. Mm -hmm. This is the 25th episode of MC Anime. And today we're going to connect business and anime and put it together in one nutshell. What topic are we doing specifically? We're doing the business of anime and merchandising? Yes. So, first we need to establish what merchandising is. Um, The process of which you use merchandising is you have a franchise and Merchandise is products that reflect your franchise in a way that's selling product. So, for example, if, let's say you have Super Mario from Nintendo. Classic game, been around for decades, and you wanted to make it on a product. Well, there's different ways to sell that product in merchandise. You can put it on books. You can put it as stickers. You can put it as a you know, a design on a, on a shirt, Cat, uh, hats and stockings, blankets, etc. There's so many things you can do with it with the merchandising deal. And another way that merchandising helps is that it gets you additional money from the already established um, intellectual property that is known that is surrounded by that merchandising deal. What's your take on this? Uh, this is, yeah, definitely merchandising is something that almost every anime does once they reach a certain point of popularity. Mm-hmm. And they see that there's money to be made of people wanting to own a memorabilia of the um, anime. So by the extension, people buying such memorabilia is celebrating their passion for anime. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what kind of merch do you buy from anime? Do, or do you not do one of those people? I definitely do. Um, if it's like... I usually get like pops or like the figurines or I get like... Um, well, Yu-Gi-Oh! is my, one of my favorite anime, so I got the cards. Periodically, I oh, the cards. Oh, you play Yu-Gi-Oh! I didn't know you play Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, I play mainly been playing Duel Links, but definitely. Oh, Duel uh, Duel Links ain't that bad. 
I just I don't know. I just don't like the I don't like the money and grab system. They you say, Oh, you can play it for free, but we kinda you don't want to boost your packs, you have to give us in store credit. And it's like uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who brings that Master Duels. I don't, I, I really think Master Duels would be kinda interesting when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think and about you- Master Duels? I really haven't really checked it out how to go back to that and look at that. I mean, I don't, if it's anything like Duel Links, it's not going to succeed. Because Duel Links is a very limited market. They have, mm-hmm. like, it's not like it hasn't broke the bank for Konami, but it also hasn't been... It's been mixed with views with the, within the community because of the uh, in-store gaming purchasing. Mm-hmm. And another way for games to make money is in-store credit, in-store merchandise. So it's yeah. it's kind of like merchandise, but like in-game kind of thing. Like in yeah, it's, like, features. it's in the same realm, just a different um, platform. Oh, yeah. So we bring up the point that you have to have an established property of some kind to benefit from merchandising. Mm-hmm. So, has there been a particular established anime or hmm, has there been a particular anime where you felt like the merchandising was flat or it wasn't none at all? When it was flat. Yeah, like you didn't like any of the merchandising that's associated with that anime because it didn't have much. I don't think I can think of one because usually the merchandise usually buys mm-hmm. like t-shirts also. So, um, any because any any merchandise I've seen in my life is mm-hmm. something that's super popular that people are always talking about. Okay. So if it's like if it was like a dead um merchandise, I guess the anime wasn't that popular. Is what I'm trying True. to say. Okay, and another thing with the merchandise you have to consider. It's anything that's like branding. Like, once you go into the realm of merchandising, you're essentially branding whatever intellectual property you created. So, if you take sports, for example, they're huge in the merchandising that they sell jerseys, caps, figureheads, uh, sports logos. That's not necessarily something you think of merchandising, but it is because they're outselling the logo or the brand that they represent to try to make additional profit, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I think merchandising for me, is, you know, I know those people out there be super crazy about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not really. A big spender? The only big spender I am is with Yu-Gi-Oh cards, but that is because I want to play the actual deck in real life, so spending all that money is kind of required to play whatever deck I want to play. Yeah, there's a reward for for the merchandise. Yeah. But I know I've... Uh, who's your favorite like YouTube curator that you just see a bunch of merchandise in the back? YouTube creator. 
Yeah, like, do you have anyone you watch on, like, YouTube or Twitch that has, like, a bunch of, like, anime DVDs, plushies, shorts, you name it, it's in the background? Yes, let me check YouTube real quick. I do, because there was an influx of pops and everything in people's background. That was just uncalled. Oh. That was just came out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. Well, Pops is... It's kind of crazy how popular that has become, become because you it's literally many versions of the characters and the larger intellectual properties. Mm-hmm. And they have skyrocketed in price because of the demand. Definitely. Stuff like $400, I'm just like, that's a lot. That might be a little too much. Like, I mean... I mean, just like Yu-Gi-Oh cards, it's something that gets super expensive because of, you know, in-game and all that stuff. And, you know, with uh, Funko, that's the, the person behind or the founder of the toy of Pops, he started the business after failing to find an affordable coin bank of Big Boy's Restaurant's mascot. Instead of licensing the rights to make his own coin banks, instead of licensing the rights. So, basically, it was in 1998, a line of nostalgia-themed bobbleheads called Wacky Wobbles. Most one to sell in stores was the fist Big Boy. So what do you think of that? They capitalize on nostalgia-themed bobbleheads. It's nothing new. It's people. There's always money to be made in something that mm-hmm. people either remember or want. And since we're nostalgia, we kind of nostalgia is pretty much just romanticizing of the past. So people are only going to remember the positive moments that they had, or they're trying to reclaim their childhood. But like, hey. I remember this. Now, can, now I can afford this. Mm-hmm. So I'm True. not like this. Is something I can really say is something that in almost every field and anything has happened. Oh yeah, I mean a big market that is huge right now for collectability. McDonald's toys. If you really think about it, McDonald's at one point is like the biggest. Bought like twenty percent of the toys, influx in the market because they keep giving away in kids meals. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you think about toys, toys is probably the biggest merchandise, and you can actually get because if you get the kids, they get to the property you're trying to sell, and it encourages more profit. Like, where's your favorite toy when you grew up? Favorite toy? Uh, if it wasn't uh, like a PlayStation for like video games, then I'd say mm-hmm. something like Boy. Definitely been. Oh, let's say like my scooter, something I could just ride. Okay, you know, okay. Yeah. Like I Have had like wrestling like... men, stuff like that oh. also. Did you do, like, do you try to buy wrestling figures too? Yeah, I definitely had like wrestling. I always had. I bugged my mother to get wrestling toys when I was younger. 
Uh, which brand was it? WWE? Yeah. Okay. So, well, take WWE, for example. Uh, WWE is in the limelight basically for stage-type wrestling. It follows a mm-hmm. script. It has a pre... Well, I, I, not like a predetermined, but like a, a a story that's like ongoing and being written for ratings. They use yep. the show to get the ratings they want. And the absurd profit lines they get from the wrestling figures, it's just like people capitalizing on comic book figures as well. Action figures. Action figures sell because they are like a, a mini, or they're like reminiscent of the character that they're representing. Okay, so did you get? Did you have to get your mom to buy like the big WWE ring and have like a collection of wrestling figures? Yeah, I definitely had a couple of rings and like wrestling figures, whatever they can like, afford <laughs> or they can buy. I ain't trying to go too crazy because I know well, how much what's my limit to ask, but definitely <laughs> I think I still have a lot of them just in the closet. So what, did you, like, play with it and imagine who would win in the battle? In the ring? I think I was, I think I was just playing as, like, just toys. And then as a kid, you kind of want, like, since they marketed to a kid, and the kid yeah. was just like, I want toys. And then I like wrestling, so I want toys that represent the things I like. Okay. Like, did you, did you only use the wrestling ring for... The wrestling figures, or did you put other people in the ring as well? It was mostly like the wrestling figures. Okay. I think I kind of just kind of like kept the stories more or less. Not like kept like I kept the themes of the toys. With the but you didn't toys. cross. You didn't like cross play toys with another genre or another property into the ring. No, I think I just kept it all. Oh, you didn't want to create oh. your own anime, uh, your own crossover event? <laughs> I mean, anime is huge for crossover events. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> You're telling me you didn't want to make a crossover. You just was like, well, I like wrestlers with wrestlers and not plushies with wrestlers. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I think it was just more me just recreating what I saw. Okay. Like, Whoa. This is what I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what's another attempt of recreating what you saw as a child? Was there another toy that was like big recreating event for you? Recreating, like recreating what you see in the TV show or the movie, as in the toy version. Besides Yu-Gi-Oh cards, I really mm-hmm. can't remember because. Done by the um Pacific character cards and everything. Yeah. That was okay. I know with Yugi with me, uh, the decks that I have recently bought, Numeron OTK, which if anyone doesn't know, that deck is just like, oh, Eternal Monsters, special summon four monsters. They can't be destroyed by battle, and they keep doubling their attack. Broken. <laughs> 
And then I also have Scrap Dinosaurs. It's basically uh go second well it's basically a go second deck. Break your opponent's board, OTK them, win the game, have a ultimate tyranno conductor, flip all monsters they have on their feet face down. And you have miscellaneous source in the main phase, unaffected by activated effects. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. And then uh, Dytron. Uh, it's a new ritual mechanic. Instead of summoning monsters through levels and, as tribute with this fusion sp- with a ritual spell, you're using attack variation. So like 2,000 or like 2,000 attack. If it's 4,000 attack, or let's say 2,700, you use 2,000 and 3,000. So you use up, attack up to 3,000 or machine monsters, which is kind of cool. Not going to lie. But what kind of decks do you play? Uh, historically, with like the physical game, it was mainly like just like a mixed deck. Just mm-hmm. cards that had good effects that I could probably play together. And then I started getting to like, um, spellcasters mainly, and now with Duke Links, I play much use Harpies and oh. a little bit of Dark Magician. Gotcha. And was uh, when you had the spellcaster deck, did you use like uh, uh, spellcaster village of the spellcasters? Yeah, one of the structure decks that I was playing. Oh, okay, you bought one of the structure decks with spellcaster. Okay, yeah, okay. So you just play casually? Yeah. Okay, that's understandable. And, you know, one way to enjoy the product that you're buying is just can continually use it. For example, mm-hmm. the algorithm for Dole Links, the merchandising is the in-game purchasing. So if you really think about it, not only are you buying more packs for the individual in the game, you have to spend your money wisely because you can spend three hundred dollars in one day in that game. Definitely. Which I, well, there should be a limit, but you know, well, you hit you hit the money selection, so you bought it. Our companies with the TOS guidelines suck. Yeah. Oh man, like well, you. Made the agreement, you hit okay, so the purchase has to go through. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah. annoying. Going back to um, re- like recreating what I had, like with like my Marvel toys. Yeah, I always use my Marvel toys, like my Hulk and Spider Man will always be used together. <laughs> and then DC toys will always be used with DC toys. So, yeah. I mean, I think my biggest toy was probably Nintendo. I would be playing Pokemon all the way through. I think I maxed... I think my my first Pokemon game was given to me on the birthday. Pokemon Yellow Special Pikachu Edition. It was nice. I enjoyed it. I maxed out the amount of hours allowed on the game. So it's like 999999. Won't go up anymore. So that's fun. So yeah, I I my childhood has been mostly like TV and Nintendo. That that's and then Yu-Gi-Oh became later after the fact. 
But, you know, that's... And then whatever toys I had in my toy box, I don't necessarily remember all of them because I had a big toy box of everything, so... I think the only one I remember was like an Elmo toy that had that played music or something. I don't know. It was like a blue guy. I'm not sure. I had um, mainly PlayStation. It was my system, mostly. Mm-hmm. We had the Wii. Yeah. We, I, I grew up with Nintendo Wii, so that's what we had in my family. Either the Nintendo Wii, Nintendo Game Boy, or Nintendo Color, NDS and 3DS. We have a Switch now, but we, I don't even use it. My brother uses it, so. And Nintendo does uh, everything sticking with the theme of like merchandising. They have merchandising. Oh now. yeah, every single new console they have is merchandising. Go back to like Nintendo sixty four to the Nintendo Game Boy, Nintendo Game Boy Color, and then you have the DS. Then you go to the Wii, Wii U, uh. The new system for the Nexus Nintendo Switch. It just keeps going. GameCube was huge for Nintendo. I never knew a company that would go to so many game consoles more than Nintendo has. They're also the, they're also the oldest that's still standing. True. They're all more established. But like, I feel like, like PlayStation and Xbox just goes up to the next generation, which I feel like is better because they keep the same similar theme console, but Nintendo just launches a new console and calls it a day. Yeah, but I would say Nintendo is pretty consistent of being hands on, small and Mm -hmm. like portable, while the PlayStation is like a little bit less portable. Can't take it on the go as much. Yeah, but since like it also the smartphone Nintendo will go to a different route because PlayStation and Xbox have that hardcore like gaming on uh, market pretty much cornered. True. And Nintendo's going for most of, like fin- Nintendo's always been like a community based company where they're always trying to push you to interact with other people. But they have like family friendly like um either the games or like the way the consoles look. Oh yeah. To all the different if we take like the Smash Brothers franchise, for example. Mm-hmm. There has been so many reboots of the same name on so many different consoles. Like it's on the Wii, it's on the GameCube, it's on Nintendo sixty four. It's, like, on Nintendo Switch. It's on the DS. Like, what generation would it not keep doing a new iteration of Smash Brothers? Smash Brothers. Melee. When is it not going to do a new generation? Whenever it loses money. True. And I also feel like all the names fighting games typically have a huge continuation if you have all these characters you control all the copyright to those characters 
then you can actually license those characters in one installment of a big crossover event that's really good because people want to now test the idea of which character is better than this character or how does this character fight in like a niche situation of which character can be used in this battlefield, in this simulation. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your thoughts about the franchises in several installments? Like, they have several iterations of the same name, but it keeps coming up in different forms. Uh, different things. So, for like, go back to the Smash Bros., um, example, it kind of makes sense in multiple reasons because people who played the original, they're going to want to play the game again on the next console. So when it came on 64 and GameCube came out, people are going to react, hey, can I play Smash Bros. on the GameCube? And then they made a GameCube version, Melee. And now also another way for people to um, get introduced to the game because they're on the current console. Now, whoever buys the current console be like, hey, what is Smash Bros.? Now they're introduced to that game again. So on that, so now like the business point, it makes sense. And then there's people who want to want people. There's also people who ask for like a continuation of the game, or like a reimagining. So you also, like you're also um, serving the demand. So I think it's mostly like just serving the demand of the want, and you can't can't get mad at that. True. You know, I feel like with every installment comes a new, fresh idea. Even though it's under the same name, it's something new and people are willing to try it. So they're capitalizing on the fact that, oh, it's new and it's part of the same previous established name that we already have. Let's go try it. It usually does well because of that fact alone. And nostalgic factor and everything else, too. And also, there's people who won't try something new. Like, you can have a new IP and everything, but since it's unfamiliar to some people, some people aren't going to buy it. But if you try to put the same concepts for new IP into like an existing franchise, then it's probably easier to um, introduce people to that concept. Well, yeah, because uh, you can keep... If the franchise is big enough... By name alone, and the brand is like representing that fact, then it's easier to persuade people that previously bought it to buy it again. It's that like business model that if it worked before, why should we not? Why should we change it? Now, of course, you can't do it exactly the same. But it's like, well, if we tweak it just a little bit, then we can still capitalize on a similar demographic that we launch this game, particularly for that our audience to enjoy. Yeah. Because gaming is really a niche entertainment category because of the, the likability of it. To be immersed into the storyline and grow as your character goes in the story. Even sometimes boss raids is really good. Or multiplayer mode can actually establish 
the integration of other characters online. So you can play with people in France when you're based in Brazil. That, you know, it gives an interaction piece that that extra feature is really tangible. You feel like you can connect with it more. Yeah. What do you think of multiplayer mode? Uh, it's fun. Like it's definitely always it's definitely needed now since mm-hmm. not everybody um can sit together and couch depending on the different reasons people can't be next to each other or they you people like lives move on and they move to a different different country you still want to connect with them and then it allows people to meet other people that they probably never had interaction with just on life because I know like examples of how people will fly out and meet the people they played mm-hmm. online together in person for the first time. And he's like, that amount of trust you built with somebody over time to take your money and go fly out to see this person. True, you do bring up a good point because the continually, the continuation of talking online, even just doing a, have your headphones on and talking into the game console of the headphones, mm-hmm. Actually, you know, like you hit moments where you keep playing with them, you keep seeing that same person over and over. You form a, you know, you form a connection. It's not a real life. Uh, actually, it is a real life connection because yeah, it, you might not be able to touch them physically, but you're still exchanging every information that you would do in any other normal relationship. It's just the, and now in this case, you have the added bonus that. I don't know. I don't know necessarily what they look like. I just know what they tell me. I know what we experience together in the game. Now, if they talk more about that, then you know it's because we are playing the game for them to express more information in the you know in the campaign. Mm-hmm. And then um. Remember watching TikTok, the person talk about how Escape 3, I think it was, where it keeps the character ghost data of them skating, and unfortunately yeah. their friend died, but their friend's ghost data was still in the game. So it seemed like, like symbolically, they're still playing with their friend. Someone's ghost? What? Like, you know how, like, ghost data, like how they have, like, the data of just a character playing? Yeah. You know how, like, in Mario Kart, you can erase your ghost? Oh, okay. They had like a skate three where the um the the um your friend's character would still be skating while you're skating. Oh, that's strange. No, it's like let me really explain it. So unfortunately, this person's friend died, right? But they played skate three mm-hmm. together. So the data from the friend who died was still inside the game. So the that character will always still be like skating. So they was able to like symbolically skate with their friend. Even though they died. Okay, so what is the NPC at this point? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you talked about happened. the transition of the character who is playing by the online person in the multiplayer mode mm-hmm. who eventually defaults to the the NPC. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I can understand that. 
And then it kind of feels weird because you're playing with that character for so long that they're not there. It's like, oh, hi, NPC player. That reminds me of my friend. Yeah. <laughs> he like had that realization. He's like, oh, wait a second. They're not here. <laughs> oh. You know, I really feel not only does... Okay, so what is some of the merchandise that you buy with games, specifically? With games? Yeah, like, I know we did, like, in-game purchasing and stuff like that. But, like, if you have, like, a favorite game... Because, it's, like, it's harder to imagine... Like, it's... You can still sell product, but, like... I feel like it's more physical product that with like shorts and logos, stuff like that to sell the game. Yeah, definitely like clothing and pops again. Or definitely where most games go to unless they unless you're like League of Legends and you build a whole anime around your game. Then that's another version of merchandising. True. And then, you know, there's lots of games where the game came first before the anime did. Or yeah. they the game influenced the anime and then late or they later made a manga after the game. Like they made a com like it's very common for like for example uh the monsterverse that has been reestablished in Gig uh, Godzilla and King Kong, for example. Mm -hmm. They after they made the movie, they made a continuation in comics. Further, further along the story, they explain it more. They go, they branch out of the movie and go more. Basically, canon. They add to what the movie didn't have, what the movie couldn't show. Which I think is a really great idea because now, not only do you reach out of the continuation of the franchise, and another continue and another adaptation. But that adaptation is now serving a different market that is continuing the storyline. What do you think about that? Oh, it definitely makes sense because pe there's people who won't watch the movies, but we rather read the books. And then, like, hey, this is then you have them. Then you can um pretty much have them as a customer, as a customer, buying the products and then um, buying um different merchandising that's first off from the books. And then as having the books you can have merchandise that's branched off from there. Specifically based on things that happen in the book. That they didn't have in the movie, but it's all all under the same um property. Okay. And I also feel like uh for example music is a harder medium to and, like merchandise with. Would you agree? Yes. Let's, let's see. Yes. I guess it depends on how you think about music. If you think about the artist or you think about the song in particular. Because I think the song part is the hard part, but the person isn't, like the artist isn't that hard. Isn't hard to own brand. It's like the song itself would be hard to brand. Well, the artists, for example, 
they don't really have like much merchandise associated with them. Only like, like maybe the logo or something like that. But I feel the artist that sings the song is branding itself. As a, in a yeah. weird way, the artist singing the song is the brand, and you're buying the song to represent to to support the brand of the singer. Yeah. Because a lot of times people connect to songs because something in their life happened or they mm. just vibe with the song. And then that song is an introduction to the artist and then they stick with the artist. I feel like the and biggest people, concept with music for the merchandising, like the physical copy, is like the, the, the actual albums or the CD covers that get sold in stores around the country. Mm-hmm. I think the physical, because um, you know you have online too, like you buy the cover of the album, and or you rep, like for example, you could buy the album on iTunes and support them that way, and then get sales in the digital market. But I feel like the physical market is like the actual representation of merchandising that we've been talking about. Yeah, I think it's because it's that item that you can, I guess it's because it's physical, so you can see mm. and feel like, hey, and put it and place it somewhere where other people can see, like, hey, I have this. Yeah. Because, you know, every Platinum record that's been done, it's still done on Platinum record. Mm-hmm. So they still make a habit to make a gold record of that music even though they can just put it on a CD and call it a gold CD. But that record was the first medium where the physical copy of the music was mostly what you had to support the artists. Of course, the concerts, too, if they went on tour. I think certain merchandise can become symbols. Yeah. Like how how, the floppy disk now becomes the save button. So, like, the record became, like, the representation mm-hmm. of music. True. I, I, you know, I think records and music is synonymous. It's like, you had the pornograph and the cylinders that played the music. You had, the, like, the radio station waves coming in. You were watched, you know, hearing the bandwidth. But, like, the physical record, you can literally put on the record player, spin it, and you can hear the music in real time. I think that is what is synonymous with the music industry. You know? Yeah. It was like the first time you can actually pick up and play like here. And then you can also take it home. Yeah, you can take and it home. Listen home. at home and you're a portable record player. It's just like the phase with the boombox. You can put the boombox in the 80s on your shoulder. It might be heavy or it might be small, but you you know, that was you, your cassette player, you put it in, play it, or your, oh gosh, what's it called? Uh, put your headphones in, put it in your pocket. Put them in or something. Like, put them in. A Walkman. The Walkman? Yep. Oh gosh. 
I think I'm more outdated myself because I used to listen to a CD player and play a CD. Which <laughs> <laughs> is based off the Walkman. Oh, gosh. But now, I don't really... To be honest, I don't really... I need to listen to more music. I think mm-hmm. it's a... It's a medium where technology keeps advancing and I think the music evolution as a, in the history wise is more interesting than gaming for me. There's been so many iterations of the same thing to listen to music. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, it's pretty much just a re- I always say that a lot of things we have today just a remix of old things. Yeah. Like a player, Walkman, CD player, iPod, iPhone, <laughs> Spotify. It's all the same. It's pretty much not the same thing, just either smaller. True. Probably more efficient. And then just a well, game. Uh, hmm? Games, you still have to have like a a physical medium to play it. So like you still need that disc. You still need that download for the PC. Yeah, they're trying for cloud gaming. I know they're trying to do that. But I think because gaming is more interactive than music, which yeah. is kind of preventing it from being getting even smaller. You still need a you still need a way to be interactive with music. Yeah. With gaming. And I That's feel like point. music like you can put it in the background, listen to it and do something else. Well, gaming, yeah. it's really more difficult to do. Like, I know people, when they eat and drink while they're on, like, stream or something, it's, like, more difficult because they have to step away to physically eat and they come back because if they don't, they don't actually enjoy the game they're playing. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that small distractions where I'll be back. Let me have an eating break and I'll be back in 30 minutes or something. These are the people that are doing, like, Continuous live stream for many hours. Yeah, music is definitely more passive, while gaming is active. Yeah, which you know, which is the same thing about like when you go to see a play, you know you have to be in a. It's just like movie theater, concert, play, sports arena. You got to see it. If you don't see it in person, you have to see it on TV. You know? You have to see it televised as the substitution for not going to the physical meeting place. Yeah, it's like those things are both like a mixture of active and passive. Like, you mm-hmm. have you don't really participate, but you have to actively watch and keep track of all the information that's going on. Like, if you watch a movie or play, you kind of have to keep actively keep track of the story, but you're not you're not participating in the story a lot of the times. Well, yeah, you're not, like, going up on stage, the magician's going to call you onto the stage, come on down, or you're on The Price is Right. It's like, come on down, you're the next contestant. Well, the Price is Right. Like, you're not actually... Like you're being, you're not like being filmed for them. They'll, like, you see it, like they're being filmed what's on the stage, not you. 
But you know what? That brings up another interesting point. Game shows. It's kind of funny how game shows market themselves because they sell the tickets to go on the show and then, you know, you have that oh, I was in the audience that day and you had the potential to be on the show. What do you think about that? Uh, well, like video game where you, if you get picked to play, then you're then you're on the game and then you're in like first person view mm-hmm. of like the game and if and also even if you're not picked, you can also get to watch. You also also get to be a participant in the audience of probably um having a direct on um, what you would call it influence on like if like the participant like the character in quotations of like, the person who's playing the game, you have a potential to be an influence there. So it's like a real like video game where you're using your body as like the controller. Okay. I can see that. So, like, VR technology. Mm-hmm. You're, like, moving your body, and where you're going is dictated by movement in a in a location that's, like, limited in movement, but you can still move. Yeah. Okay. I think that that's kind of cool. And, you know, with game shows, their merchandising is, you know, the typical t-shirts, the design, like, Oh, I'm wearing a Game of Fortune. Well, I'm wearing a Game of Fortune shirt. You know, the spinning of the wheel. But I think the biggest success with merchandising is the fact that I can just launch a free game on an app, on an application on phone, computer, and people can play it online. Mm -hmm. So they can make a mini version, a digital version of what you see in real life. And it and it help and it pretty much feeds on why the people who want to be on the show but can't be on the show. Oh, also, yeah. also talk like if I was on the show, this is what I would have done. And it's like here, try it. And they do the same thing with Jeopardy. You, like to be on Jeopardy, you actually have to. I think get you have to be on the Jeopardy game or the Jeopardy. Questionnaire, and if you get the question, so many things right on the questionnaire, you get a ranking. I believe that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, with Jeopardy, you like do whatever questionnaire they have online, and then you reach out to a company that re- seeks out people based on that results, and they can narrow down the contestants on the show. Mm-hmm. You had to you to prove you to be on Jeopardy. You have to take the testing that they require because I don't see any way else to get on. It's not like a, a lottery. You have to be like pre qualified for that. Usually, you have to pre be pre qualified in your knowledge. Yeah, that makes sense for that type of game. You have to know something. Got to be well versed in knowledge for that game. That makes sense. Is that that's also going back to like anime? Those like the tuning exams where there's yeah. these stages of um selecting for the mm-hmm. real games. 
it's all in like the same same area, same realm. One thing that comes to modernizing for me, Hasbro. There is so many toys that's been launched by Hasbro. And then also, I think, uh, who, who's, and also, uh, Bobby? Who made Bobby? But what do you think about uh, Hasbro? Uh, pretty much, they've been around forever. They have G.I. Joe, that's what I call them for, G.I. Joe and Transformers. They made yeah. cartoons. Yep. Two-style toys. Which then swelled into more cartoons, movies, video games. Which is hilarious to think about, where you have kids who, like, invest into the stories, and it's pretty much just all curated just for to solve them something. But a lot of people won't think about that in the moment. They just think about, ooh, new entertainment. And it's also fun to think about, like, how much time and effort did they put into the, the story compared to the character design because they want to sell another toy. Oh, yeah. And don't forget the competition with Mattel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mattel was, like, right there behind them with Hasbro. You know, Hasbro has, like, Monopoly and Transformers and some other notable characters. Tell his Bobby has like Hot Wheels. If you really think about the toy industry, Mattel and Hasbro are like the biggest rivals of all time in that industry. Of course, there's also- like GI Joe with with, with uh, Hasbro. Continue. They also buy other companies. They also buy other companies, which then yeah becomes like you know the constant vice like over a century to make these toys. It's kind of interesting because I recently saw the history about it. So it's like, huh? They did all of that, and then we keep competing for all these years to dominate the field. I mean, if they like, if this is a man, somebody's gonna want to want to own, which you call it, feel that they're man. Yeah. So if you're competing, you might as well be you. And I think the toy market is the best example of merchandising because it takes the property and transforms it into a version that is kid friendly, uh, brings back good memories. It's reminiscent of the fact that not only is it portable. But is it? It also just makes uh, boredom less of a thing for childhood. Mm-hmm. It's easier to capitalize it because who's not want the kids to be happy? The parents are like, and to a degree, are obligated to make the child happy. Yeah. So companies capitalize on that fact to launch. All these toys, and also with toys, the market is very tight. You launch a new toy three months later, it can be outdated because it's not the new toy on the market. Mm-hmm. So you have to like establish yourself competing in that field because of the all the time moving parts going about it, everything going out of style, just like clothes. 
Well, I feel like clothing and merchandising would probably never go out because they they bank profit on the property and the franchise. Yeah. I mean, you're always, you're always going to need clothing and people are always going to want to put something on their clothing. So that's something that's never going away. And then merchandising. There's always going to be people who want to have a representation of the game, of whatever yeah. that they want. And clothing is like the best fashion statement to say, oh yeah, I'm a fan of this, so I represent the clothing industry by buying this product and my favorite brand or favorite franchise. A lot of merchandising is just having the physical... Uh, the way we think about it, the way we operate it, having mm-hmm. a physical, physical representation of what we like. I don't know what's going with that, but yeah. It's a physical representation of what the property is for us and what it means to us. Because if you're willing to buy it, then actually in the long run, it shows our passion. It shows our true colors. It also shows how much we're willing to do to support our franchise that we love. Because it actually makes you want to get invested. You invest into the idea of the franchise that you are watching or reading or listening to. It gives you a motivation to support it. Now, if you're indirectly or directly or not, you are supporting it if you buy such product. Because that, that product has been licensed and through the multiple attempts to licensing in different fields, there's a niche area for people to enjoy. So when it, when it hits the market, you typically can find a lot of stuff relating to like cats or purses or um, bats, you know, you can find niche areas where they might have product in that market of that brand. What are you going to say? No, I was just thinking about how um, I was trying to think about like the need for people to want to show that they have the merchandise. Oh, yeah. Just like Adidas and Nike, that by itself is merchandising by a brand of clothing. Like, it's not the clothing itself. Because most of that, the, the clothing is generic. It's the brand. So the brand's why it's worth so much money. Just like Apple. When you buy an iPhone, you're not necessarily buying the phone. You're buying what the brand represents. You know? Yeah. Like, when you had the, at the Apple and Samsung debate, or Google, or whoever else to get into the phone field, chances are Apple is using, is capitalizing on their software. Their mm-hmm. niche is the software that they're trying to sell you in the phone. Now, the other components comes from another phone company. 
at one point Samsung used to make the batteries and the internal parts for Apple. Well, the Apple capitalized on the software to set them apart. Now, marketing is the, the technology that you're getting, the improvements, the uh, all the different things you're paying for in the terms of service, too. Updates in a reasonable time, accessories, like the app store you're paying access to. Because the brand of Apple specializes in the software and developing such software. So that's why they're so high. Even though they don't really give much support for casing, like you can have a, they don't want to have a good phone case, but you know, they still have a good phone. And warranty as well. What do you think? I mean, that's pretty much everything comes down to is because there's only so many ways you can represent something in terms of merchandise. Mm -hmm. So what's going to separate you is why does the person have the BBU? It's always a constant on reminder that the company do. It's like, hey, this is who we are, and this is why you should like us. Because if because a lot of things are replicable, so and to keep your core audience, you have to remind, you have to keep feeding into what got them there in the first place. True. And then with uh, anime characters, the same. You watch the franchise that you consume. You want to support the franchise you want that you're watching. And one way to do that is the additional revenue that merchandise gives to such franchise. They make the most money out of selling stuff relating to the franchise through merchandise. That's the biggest consuming market that they have to sell the anime. The anime drives the merchandise at that point. Yeah, and merchandise is replicable and it's incredible. So, like, once you have a TV show, once it ends, it ends. But people can always buy and sell the merchandise, and then you have the resale market, which then brings more attraction and attention to the original IP. Yeah, you know, with like the continuation of the TV show after the fact, usually they only get paid for reruns. So like, if a if a studio, like, I don't know, ah, uh, gosh, TX or something, TNT. If TNT picks up Friends. And they keep uh, make, showing reruns of that episode. The only other general for profit they're getting is people watching it. So they give subsidizing fees to the talents for the for keep being brought back on the air for the episode that played. It's not much money, but you still get paid for that reappearances on another station. Just like with music. If a radio keeps playing the same music, they will actually eventually pay uh, fees and uh, rendition of replaying the same music. Yep. 
anime the same way. I mean, you know, we have the market. So the merchandise that we have now with anime that for every views they get, they still make money because of the web traffic that the streaming service gathers. The more people that watch that anime or people on the site, they're going to keep watching more because they're incentivized to do so. If they finish this episode, they're going to go to another episode to catch up. Mm-hmm. So the web traffic and the marketing is another tool that they can use for additional revenue. Which, you know, Country Roll and Funimation also sells merchandise on the website. So it's just convenient to have e-commerce and the same show you watch on the same site so you can maybe purchase something from the e-commerce website if it pops up on another section of the anime but mm-hmm. catalog. But, you know, e-commerce is huge because that's where most of the merchandising sells commerce from. What's your thoughts about e-commerce before we go? Uh, it's pretty much it's the it's the current it's not even a new wave anymore. It's the current wave. Yeah, that's it's no longer box and mortal. It's more online. Because yeah. you used to buy your merchandise from box and mortal stores, but now with the the addition of the internet, is so more wide scale accessible. To people to just ship it to your house, mm-hmm. or maybe even ship it to a physical location like a store to pick it up as well. Yeah, pretty much, and it's it's great for people who are established. They can see the traffic of directly of what's getting bought. So when they order things, they don't have to order over order things that aren't selling. And also good for people who's new into who's new into um uh, merchandising stuff like that, where they can get their foot wet and have not have a big inventory, but be able to create the inventory over time. Yeah, and you you can track which inventory is selling, which one is not. You know, if this order particularly is not selling as much, then you buy less the next time. Even though if you're still selling it, you still buy it. You just buy a significantly less amount. And you sell that amount. And if it's skyrockets again, you can make the cost like, well, do I change what I've been ordering to meet the demand? Or do I mm-hmm. keep it the same and charge a higher price because the demand's higher than the supply? Yeah. But that's supply and demand. And that's a. No, that's another discussion with economics. I really don't want to get into. Uh, but any closing thoughts as we wrap up this episode about merchandising? Uh, I'll say merchandising isn't inherently bad or good. It's all depending on the company behind it. Yeah. And don't go too crazy. Like buying merchandise, but definitely show people what you like. True. I think for me, if you need to be conservative with merchandising, first of all, 
Because if you go on a bench, uh, buying spree, you're going to be out more significantly more money than you would have just watching the anime. Now, not saying that you should not buy it. I think you should buy it. Because now not only does it support make you happy for the monetary value of having the object belonging to your entertainment, but it also supports the licensing agreements with the company and the copyright holder who's using that licensing company as a way to make additional profit. Because after an anime streams, like off the air kind of deal, like it airs in Tokyo and it's not airing on TV, then the continuation of the name brand is the merchandising outside of the fact. They're still getting paid in anime catalogs and all that stuff, but the only driving money factor after it finishes is the merchandising years later. So I think it's really important to drive that notion to support your favorite creators through the continuation of licensing agreements after the show ends. Mm -hmm. With that, I think that's a general close say what licensing impacts and how it maybe look different in different industries. Thank you for uh, Zeke, who is a special guest who has that connection to business and anime. Anime is a hobby, but business as an like, entrepreneur. And uh, what's that podcast again? So they, if they want the more information. It is the Let's Gather podcast. It's on, on all platforms, including YouTube. In video form, uh, released on uh, seasonally, getting ready for season seven, which comes to come out on uh, January 26th. For anyone that or doesn't part of hearing, I'm going to put it in the description below so you can also uh, follow that podcast when it goes back up. If you really like Zeke and his what he brought to business and anime merchandising in this particular podcast episode. I thank you so much for coming on the episode. It was nice to have you. No Any problem, closing anytime. thoughts for the audience? Uh, just be kind to yourself, kind to others, and do things. Well, you hear it from the source. Not only are we getting together, but now they're going to Phone to you and have all kinds of positivity. This podcast offers a lot than what meets the eye. Be sure to check him out, see what he has to offer, and let's get to go. Let's get together podcast. I was a fan when I looked looked at it, so if I can be easily brought in, so can you. Hope you guys have a nice day and enjoy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Bye.